Good morning, you guys. This is Titus Nietzsche Anderson for the Sofer Mana podcast. Today is Sunday, June 16th, 2019. Um, this weekend, we are going to talk about mental models and how to use them and how to apply them to your environment or to the data that you've been gathering from your environment. If you have been following the podcast on a weekly basis, and you can listen to any of the recordings in any order that you want to. But if you happen to be going through it sequentially, then by now, if you're going through the exercises, what you should have is a working epistemology that is starting to take shape or starting to take form. You should know what your game is, uh, what information that you need to gather about your target, You should know if it's just you versus the target, or if there are other players involved. You need to gather information on those players. You need to gather information on your environment. Um, You need to know what behaviors or willpower you have available to you to seize your target. And you also need to know um, what your cost-benefit ratios are. You need to know what strikes you can make. You need to know what kind of traps you can set. You also need to know how to detect them in case somebody's trying to trap you, which is also the case. And then finally, um, situational awareness, which we talked about last week. You need to stop, look, assess, mitigate. Um, You need to know who's around you, what's around you, why is it around you, how did it get there, what's it doing there, and what I should do about it, if anything. Okay, so I'm kind of rushed this weekend, but I'm going to do a real quick podcast on mental models. Mental models is a natural extension of last week's podcast. It's just the ability to take a blueprint and to apply it to the data that you've been gathering. That's all a mental model is. It's just a blueprint. Um, They are used for three different purposes. Number one, it's to analyze data with your biases. Number two, it's used to determine the importance among the data that you have collected. And number three, it's used to make decisions based on the data that you have collected. What determines or makes one person better than another at using mental models or their biases? Number one, it would be their training. Number two, it would be their experience. And number three, it would be their history. Or I'm sorry, it would be their training, their experience, and their talent. That's number three, their talent uh, for using mental models. Now, um, instead of leaving this sort of thing to chance, um, last week I gave you four different models that you can apply to the data that you gather. Number one was cause and effect. Number two was sample space, number three was geography, and number four was temporal, so that you can determine if there's a trend um, based on the last six months of data and where things will be in another six months and things like that. So you can review last week's podcast if you need to brush up on that sort of thing. Okay, those are not the only models that you can apply to information, though. There are also linear models prediction models, network models, contagion models, stat distributions, learning models, consumer preference models, path dependence models, 
innovation models and economic growth models, um, to name just a few if you start researching this area. And applying those to the data or the environment around you will hopefully um, reveal any blind spots that you might have and they might also reveal um, new opportunities for you for making advances. Okay, moving on to number two, criteria. What's important to you? What's important to you might not be important to me. So I'll give you an example from advertising. There was a company that was advertising meat and they advertised the meat and stated that we have one pound of meat that is 10% fat. They also ran a second ad that said, we sell one pound of meat that is 90% lean. The second ad outsold the first ad, which is good to know. So you're thinking, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, if you're a salesperson, or if you ran a company and you were trying to recruit um, new salespeople, then what you would want to state is that our salespeople keep 90% of their clients over five years. Or we capture our chosen game or targets 90% of the time. That's how you adapt the idea and that's how you use the mental model. There are some very famous business consultants who've made a lot of money just doing this alone. They collect newspaper ads, they collect magazine ads and things like that that have been very successful and what they do is they just change the content of the ads and make the ads work for themselves. Okay, number two under the criteria heading are values. What you would want to know when working with a prospect or when taking a look at your data are the different values that are involved. For example, some people are looking to make a quick buck and other people are thinking long term. Some people enjoy the process and some people just want the results. Some people are very materialistic and some people are very environmental or ecologically minded. Some people are very ethnocentric but some people are very world-centric. So knowing the values of your prospect or the person who you're talking to will reveal a lot about their world, how they organize it. It would also tip you off as to how to communicate with that person as well as whether they're a good fit for your organization or for what you have in mind. I was listening to um, podcasts over the week and just it's kind of peculiar. Um, Liv Barry is a professional card player and she also has a degree in physics and she was on the Tim Ferriss podcast and she's a great interview. And then Patricia Churchland who is a heavyweight in the area of um, neuroscience also came up with the same issue and it was the one that I had just addressed about a week ago on values versus rules where I did a review of a blog that was written by squareholes.com and it, the whole issue came up again I could not believe my ears um, Liv Maria talked about the difference between an ontologist and a consequentialist and how an ontologist thinks in terms of order 
and systems and rules and if you would just obey the rules then everything would work out okay but a consequentialist supposedly thinks that well we just want to make decisions based on the consequences and if we deem that the consequences are in our favor then we'll make the decisions based on the consequences not based on the rules and Patricia Churchland was also bringing up the exact same argument from her studies in philosophy and I almost fell out of my chair that this is coming up yet again there is no debating of ontology versus uh, consequentialism that's not how it works there is no debate or intersectionality of values versus rules the values are already established and meditated upon the rules are nothing more than the delineation of those values that we have to live by that's how you have ecology everybody has to play by the rules if you let people start making decisions based on their opinions um, then what you have is chaos because everybody has a different idea in their mind in other words everybody has a different mental model in their mind about what's important to them and that could differ if say for example um, you're materialistic but somebody is ecologically minded or if you want to make a quick buck but somebody wants to use dollar cost averaging over the long term that's why we don't give um, you know police privileges to teenagers or uh, the authority of federal courts to unqualified people or surveillance privileges to people who don't have a master's degree in psychology because that will create chaos and people just start doing whatever they want to do so this is not a new issue this is actually in the Bible it's the very very first issue presented in the Bible when the serpent approaches Adam and Eve and asks them is it really true that God said that you cannot think for yourself and then he tempts them to eat from the um, eat from the, the tree and uh, everything descends into chaos from there I did a very large um, seminar on the subject material if you're interested in it then you can go to uh, sovrumano.com forward slash philosophy and you can read there and then there's three large modules on video that I recorded and you can go through that whole um, process if you want to there okay wrapping it up we're going to move on to idols what do idols have to do with mental models idols have a lot to do with mental models who you idolize will determine what you pay attention to it's like the foreground background process in psychology so um, if you hear someone say that I'm one of Jehovah's Witnesses then that might give you a rough idea of what their values are and what they pay attention to if somebody says well I'm one of Hitler's youth then that's a radically and totally different mental model that they have in their environment those two groups pay attention to totally different things and their values are totally different from each other 
somebody says I'm one of Abraham's kids or um, I'm Jewish or I'm a Catholic or I don't practice any religion whatsoever um, and things like that will tip you off as to what kind of mental model that they use to um, organize the world around them. Okay, and lastly, um, I wanted to give you one example of um, one example taking um, modeling by profession so that you know you have a rough idea of how this works. For example, <clears throat> how a programmer differs from a gambler, differs from a carpenter, who differs from a physicist, who differs from a mathematician, all when looking at the same problem. So, as an example, if you had an incidence of violence, an animal behaviorist would want to look for, <clears throat> excuse me, they're looking for offensive and defensive postures, um, who is the intruder and who is the resident, whether they are of the same species or different species. That's how they organize their world, and that's how they um, sort information. A criminologist, however, is looking for premeditated crime or impulsive crime. And an anthropologist, when looking at that same act of violence, is looking for vendettas. They are looking for warfare among clans. They're looking for homicides and things like that. So it's the same act of violence through three different lenses that will yield three different types of information. So, you never know if this stuff is going to be useful to you. Um, there is a guy named Richard Montanez who works at Frito-Lay. He was a janitor there in 1976, but he is now a uh, business consultant and public speaker. And what happened is while he was working at Frito-Lay, the, um, the corn puff machine had broken down. And what he did is he took a bag of Cheetos home from work. And what he did is he started making elotes with them. And elote is a street food that's made here in Los Angeles where some of the Hispanic people take corn and they apply mayonnaise and cheese and chili to the corn. But what he did is he applied it to the cheese puffs instead and uh, made a bag of those. And that is where you get your flaming hot Doritos from. And your flaming hot Cheetos uh, were created by Richard Montanez. So you never know. That's the moral of the story. You could be a janitor one day and you could be a millionaire the next day. Or you could be uh, executive vice president at Pepsi-Cola. Who knows? All right, you guys, that's going to wrap it up for this weekend. And I hope you're doing well. If this stuff makes a difference to you or if it has generated a few good ideas for you, um, please uh, post a note and let me know and recommend the podcast to others. And we survive on your donations. So if you see me out and about in Los Angeles, feel free to say hello. I'm doing impromptu seminars around the city. And uh, I would like to hear from you and hear about any results that you might be getting from the material that we're posting. Okay, so that's it. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you some other time. Bye-bye.